baby back door, baby fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. The game may be over, but they are just getting started. Raw and unfiltered, this is the OU Insider staff, and this is the Under the Visor postgame podcast. Welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners postgame podcast. My name is Brandon Drum. I'm here with Parker Thune, and I'm in Atlanta, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. Parker is now back in Omaha, Nebraska, was in Ames, Iowa today, covering the game for OU Insider, uh, where the Sooners won, and they beat the Iowa State Cyclones 27-2. to I believe correct 27 13 that is that is correct that is correct 27 it's just such a weird score to me like I keep wanting to say 27 14 but I know it's 27 13 27 to 13 in a kind of an ugly ball game that shouldn't have been ugly at all Oklahoma probably should have had another 21 at points at least up on the board if it wasn't for drop passes uh but that's could have would have should have and it didn't happen. But the positive note on this is that we saw life from the defense, Parker. There's life. It is unbelievable. How about that? How about yeah. that? Defense won you a football game today. Three turnovers. Danny Stutzman gets his first career interception. Uh, I Look, we talked about it in the pregame podcast. The biggest thing for Oklahoma coming into this game was – just don't make Iowa State look better than they are and don't surrender big plays. The Sooners yeah. succeeded at both of those things. And lo and behold, after giving up 40 plus points, four consecutive games, they show up in Ames in a rowdy road environment and hold the opposing offense to 13. And the one touchdown that Iowa State did manage came on a bust, total coverage bust on fourth and 12. So even you you look at that touchdown, yeah, it was a bad play, but you take that one play out of the equation, and if anybody's there to bring Jalen Knoll down prior to the line to gain, if anybody's even in position to do that, then you hold them to single digits. So all told, you are very pleased with the defensive effort uh, from Oklahoma today if you're a Sooner fan. And you saw a lot of really encouraging trends, one being mm-hmm. some increased pressure on the quarterback, uh, another being the turnovers, obviously. 
And you, you said it was ugly, Brandon. I don't even, I don't know if I would call it ugly. I don't even know if I would say that. I think this was just an old school, stripped down, slow moving type of a football game. Um, yeah. I, it was the type of deal where it, I, I think a lot of OU fans these days have kind of spoiled. become, yeah. well, and I don't, I don't know if spoiled is the right word, but they've just become acclimated to winning a certain way. And the way Oklahoma won today is not the way that they're accustomed to seeing Oklahoma. It didn't win. look pretty. So it, looked, it doesn't look pretty. I, Oklahoma always looks pretty when they win. Yeah. And it was all around. It was a good football game for Oklahoma. There wasn't a ton left on the table in my mind that you felt like you had to have. Again, you look at some plays, very first play of the game, for instance, we talked about it before we hit record, Brandon. Marvin Mims is gone. He is going the distance if he doesn't just straight up drop that pass down the sideline from Dylan Gabriel. I mean, that is a surefire touchdown. He's running away from everybody. He's housing that thing. But didn't happen. And again, it didn't it didn't really feel like there were any plays in this football game that really truly cost Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Where you started to feel uneasy about the game being in control, in Oklahoma's control, rather. So again, it was a different style of victory than Sooner fans are accustomed to, but all told, uh, I think you can make a compelling case that this was Oklahoma's best overall football game of the 2022 campaign. And Dylan Gabriel said it after the game. Brent Venables said it after the game. It's something to build off because as you head in the month of November, uh, you got to face a Baylor team that's had its ups and downs. You got to face a West Virginia team that's had its ups and downs. Oklahoma state looked like the most formidable opponent the rest of the way for Oklahoma. And then they showed up to Manhattan today and got the doors blown off by Kansas state. You go to Lubbock. Last week of the season, it, all of those four games in the month of November are very winnable. Now, they're also losable. Mm-hmm. I just want to get that clear. Those are four good football teams, four football teams with talent. But there's a very feasible path for Oklahoma to win out the rest of the way in Big 12 play if they play the yep. way that they played today. And I thought Brent Venable said it well both before and after this football game, because he told us on Tuesday, look, we're not going to have to play perfect. But if we play well, we will win. And he said after the game, I I told y'all, if we play well, we'll win. And it was not perfect today, but we played well, and we won a football game. And that's the recipe. Yeah, I I think the the you brought it up earlier when you were talking the Marvin Mims thing, and I think that was kind of the it set the tone for him individually, the drop pass on that that touchdown, because he just had a horrendous game. And I love Marvin. That's one of my guys, man. I love that kid. And that hurt to watch. Just It was like, because you expect so much out of a kid that is just that talented and that good. And then all of a sudden things just start sliding downhill for him over and over and over and over again to where, I mean, two drop first down passes uh, on third, big third downs that you would consider big third downs, two touchdown pass 
that were dropped and then essentially the one that he just misjudged it uh down the down the hash in the fourth quarter where it hit like the the middle part of his fingers uh and I don't know what that was like he's running straight the ball's going down the center of the hash he just didn't adjust well I just think he was off I just think he was off today and you know what's interesting we haven't what's that I there's only been one other game in Marvin Mims' career that I recall where he's also been off, and it was Iowa at Iowa State in 2020. So yep. maybe there's just something about Jack Trice Stadium that doesn't Theo vibe East dropped with a Marvin Mims' pass. psyche. Yeah, Theo East dropped a touchdown pass too, and we all know his 2020 game at Iowa State wasn't exactly one he wants to remember. No. Uh, no he dropped like four touchdown passes that day. <laughs> No, <laughs> yeah. it was like it was a rough day for him. Every, everybody um, dropped a touchdown pass. Obi Obialo dropped dropped a touchdown oh pass. Oh my gosh, two of them in the two back of them. end zone. Two of them. I think those yeah, were his only two targets of his OU career. Yeah, it was not. It was not pretty. He he ended up with back issues, if I remember correctly. Shortly yeah. after that, never so. had a catch. Mm-hmm. And he was good at Marshall too. Man, he was a good player. Their best player. It just was weird. Um, yeah, this. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, bro. I know this is weird, but so Texas A&M had the kicker to do an onside kick. And they set it up for an onside, and he kicks it deep. <laughs> He's getting ripped as he walks out. Like a minute and twenty five seconds left, and he kicks it out of the back of the end zone. Only in College Station, folks. Only in no College joke. Station. No joke. Anyways, so, um, um <laughs> yeah, so I thought outside of Marvin Mims's up and down game, outside of the receiving core, just kind of being, I thought you want to know who I thought had a good game and was really good for Oklahoma today, Jalil Farouk. Jalil Farouk. He is going to be a star. Mm. Yeah. Well, and I, I'm pretty sure we talked about it. Um. At some, maybe it was on the live stream, maybe it was on the pregame podcast, but Jalil Farouk is in line to be wide receiver one on this team whenever yep. Marvin Mims' time has come and passed. And I think you saw today what he's capable of when he has the ball in his hands, and he's so versatile, and we've known this about him, right? You think back mm-hmm. to his high school recruitment. He had P5 offers as a wide receiver. He had P5 offers as a running back. Brent Venables was recruiting him to Clemson as a cornerback. Or as a safety, uh, yep. I guess. So that's the type of athletic profile that he has always carried with him. And you you see that manifest itself in his usage at Oklahoma to this point, right? He's mm-hmm. uh, one of Oklahoma's key cogs in the return game. They get the ball in his hands on jet sweeps or in the wildcat package a couple times today. So they they will find ways to create carries for him. And he gets the ball thrown his way a decent amount. Probably not nearly as much as he'll get it thrown his way next year. But no, not at I all. I think I think your ideal Oklahoma offense is one that's doing just that. It's forcing the ball to Jalil Farouk. And I I say forcing, and I don't mean that to carry a bad connotation. What I mean is you are intentionally creating opportunities to specifically put the ball into his hands and see what he can do. Because, <laughs> I mean, there right now there are three guys in this offense. Well, no, I take that back, four guys. 
four guys in this offense that you know for certain when the ball is in their hands, something good's going to happen. Eric Ray, certainly. Braden Willis, certainly. And then Marvin Mims and Jalil Farouk. And again, Marvin Mims had an off day today. It happens. Apparently it happens to him and Ames. For Farouk, what was refreshing was that amidst Mims's struggles, you have a guy on the opposite side of the field that picks up the slack. And he, yeah, as so right now, sorry, I was going to, I can't hear you very well right now. So I'm not going to lie to you. Like I hear, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. We got that fixed. So, yeah, I just say, I, I, I think it's refreshing. It's a refreshing dynamic in this Oklahoma offense when you have, one guy on one side of the field and Marvin Mims, who's typically your meal ticket, your bread and butter in the passing game, and he has an off day. But in the midst of his off day, you have Jalil Farouk step up and have one of the best games that he's had as a Sooner to this point. And it's it speaks all the more to the diversity of weapons right now in this Oklahoma attack. And you're seeing guys week after week. It, it, it feels like somebody new is continually stepping up. And Mims has probably been the steady hand on the tiller in that capacity, but we've seen a couple of huge performances from Braden Willis. We've seen big days from Theo Weiss. Uh, obviously, today it was Farouk. Uh, we've had big plays from guys like Gavin Freeman as well. So I think today was, as you look over the box score today, there is no individual standout performer. Right. There's nobody that had the type of day that we're just ooing and eyeing and drooling over. Right. But again, that's not a terrible thing. That's not a sign of a flawed football team. I think it's just, it's something that people are going to have to get used to because Oklahoma may win games in this fashion down the stretch where nothing really jumps off the page. And when you look over the box score and you pour over the statistics, nothing really catches your eye. But you know what? The game isn't played on paper, Brandon. And anybody who watched that game today could safely conclude that uh, several things were true. One, Oklahoma's defense played as well all around as they have all year. They were not perfect. They left some plays on the table. They made some mistakes. They had some lapses. But all told, it was a very effective performance. Anytime you hold an opponent to 13 points, you'll take it. Yeah. Also, they won the turnover battle, which is crucial. And I think I, I it was Danny Stutzman we were talking to after the game, and he said straight up, look, the team that wins the turnover battle usually wins the football game, and we did that today. Um, and then offensively, you know what? Sometimes just good is good enough. And if you're playing well on both sides of the ball, which is and will continue to be the goal for Venables in this football team. Uh, just good should usually be good enough. Mm -hmm. Last thing that stands out for those that watch the game and aren't just looking at the box score is special teams matters. And it seems like we spent the last couple of years continually complaining about how there seemed to be no sense of urgency or intentionality with the coaching of special teams in this Oklahoma program. Obviously that changed Jay dramatically Nunez. when Venables got to town and brought in Jay Nunez from Eastern Michigan. And 
special teams loomed large today. Obviously, the play that stands out was the fake field goal, the shuffle pass from Michael Turk to Zach Schmidt for the two-yard touchdown. But Turk had himself a day in the punting game. And I know there there are always going to be those fans that are like, well, he punted way too many times. There are those fans that believe punters should never be utilized if mm-hmm. Oklahoma is playing the type of football that they should be playing. But you know what? Football is a game that, <laughs> you know, it, it takes both sides to win. And it takes all three sides to win, typically. And so you know what? There are going to be days where your offense scuffles a little bit from time to time, and they're not able to finish drives every single time that they get on the football field. And when that happens, it's really nice to have a guy like Turk that you can count on to get out there and weighing a punt 60 yards downfield and have it down inside the five-yard line, as he did in a very pivotal moment late in the game. So all three facets worked in collaboration and in concert today to get Oklahoma this win. And no particular facet of the game was perfect by any means. But by virtue of that collaboration, by virtue of that concert, you had a winning recipe today. Yeah, they played complimentary football. And I, that, that's one thing, like, on OU Insider VIP board, you got a lot of fans, not a lot. There's a, there's a handful of fans that anytime Oklahoma doesn't look like they're going to throw up 700 yards of offense or 500 or 600 yards of offense, it's like, fire Jeff Levy. Oh, my gosh, she's awful. Oh, this is what happened at Ole Miss. I, I watched Ole Miss today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Throw for 140 yards. Jackson Dart threw for 140 yards. Like, that's not what no- he normally does. He's usually up in, just like Dylan Gabriel, around the 270, 330 range between there. It's like give or take. And it it's like if he's if they're not perfect and they're not running perfect offense – Something has to be wrong. And that goes back to what you talked about earlier, where it's like, if they're not winning a particular way, if they're not winning a shootout, it's not good football. Well, folks, like good football is just winning, period. Like Iowa State mucks up a game. That is what they do. They are going to make it physical. They're going to make it slow. They are going to make it just a grind out type of game where you're going to have to gain yards in chunks instead of mass yards. And when I say yards of chunks, I'm talking like seven, eight yard chunks at a time. It's not going to be 20 yards here, seven yards here, 30 yards here, 10 yards here. That's not how Oklahoma is going to win it. That's not how they were going to play offense. It just wasn't like that is, <laughs> excuse me, that, that is how, Iowa State wants you to play, and that's why they have a top 10 defense. Like, Hecock's been doing this for how long now? He did this to Baker Mayfield. He did this to Kyler Murray. He did this. He didn't do it to Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts actually scored 40-plus points on him. But he did it to Spencer Rattler, too. Uh, He did it against uh, uh, Caleb Williams last year. Like, this isn't anything new. This is not new how these games get played against Iowa State. They're the same every year outside of one or two. They're going to make sure. I remember 2016, 
Oklahoma goes up there on a Thursday night, Parker, and they had um, no running backs, essentially. And they played Dimitri Flowers at running back. It was the Dimitri Flowers game. That's Correct. right. And you remember how slow that game was? Mm-hmm. Just slow and methodical it was. And this is like peak Baker Mayfield time, by the way. So you gotta get gotta get in your heads when you play certain teams, the K States of the world, the Iowa States of the world, they're so disciplined schematically and they don't rely on a ton of talent. They just rely on them being a unit offensively and defensively. And that is troublesome no matter who they play. They about beat Texas. They should have beat Texas in Austin. As a matter of fact, Decker slides. His knee is down and the, they hit the ball with the helmet. Pops out. Overshone did. It popped out and they called him up when clearly if you watch the pause it he's down you know what happens then they kick a field goal at least or maybe go down and score and win the ball game like that's where this thing was had that turnover not taken place and there was cause for maybe a target there but my point being is is that they played Texas that close they've played everybody what within seven to 10 points all season in all their losses, if I remember correctly. They've been all one possession losses. One possession losses, correct. So outside of Oklahoma, Oklahoma is the one team that's beat them by double digits. That's it. On the road, mind you, and yet people are griping. And it, it, it could have been way worse for Iowa State had Mims caught a couple of those passes in the end zone, had Weiss caught a pass in the end zone, had uh, Eric Gray not fumbled when they were inside what the 30 yard line after the interception or whatever it was, that wasn't quote, quote, an interception by Woody Washington. So there were, there was, there were variable of things that cost Oklahoma offensively, but luckily the defense turned up and was kind of a bend, but don't break defense today. Something I think Oklahoma fans would take all day. If you guys could take 13 points, 13 to 21 points every game, Oklahoma doesn't lose another ball game. They do not lose another ball game if they play this way. It is just not going to happen. Like next week, I think they could lay some points on Baylor and literally shut them down if they play solid defense at home. Now, we'll see. But I like Oklahoma's odds to potentially win every game here on out. I mean, I... I we talked about this last week, Parker, or at least during the live. We said when we were naming, you know, what what do we believe Oklahoma is going to be the rest of the season? We both said four and one is the most likely scenario, but we also said we're going to base all this on what does this team look like against Iowa State, and if they play this type of defense, I might pick them to win every game. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I like still we thought the think, Oklahoma State game was going to be the game they lost. Like well, after watching well, today, yes. and that's that's kind of what's embedded in my head here as I consider the path from here on out for Oklahoma is I don't want to be 
a prisoner of the moment, and that's not just exclusive to Oklahoma. No, that's fair. That's exclusive to all the opponents on this their schedule the rest of the way because Oklahoma State went to Manhattan and got beat 48 to nothing. No one, and I mean no one, saw that coming. That was completely incommensurate with the type of football that Oklahoma State has played to this point in the year. A glaring outlier. And so, what does that mean for the rest of Oklahoma State's season? Is this the beginning of the end? Is this where the wheels start to fall off for Gundy and crew? Or is this legitimately just a blip on the radar and they're going to be right back to their winning ways next week? I don't know. The Big 12 is so unpredictable right now. And so for that reason, I'm not I'm not overly optimistic OU wins out. But I do think as long as they continue to build upon what they've done over the course of their last two games and they continually improve, and that's one of the things that Venables has emphasized time and time again is we just want to get better week after week. Mm-hmm. That is our goal. Our goal is to get better week after week. As long as they can continue to do that, they're going to certainly have more than a puncher's chance to win each of these four games that are on the slate in the month of November. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I don't know, man. I let's Dean Blevins this up. Let's get percentages here. This team's a different type of cat than what we're used to. And so, and I'll respect to Dean. Like I grew up watching him. So, and I, I know Dean well, so yeah, it's just all joking aside. Um, what what do you think the percentage is that Oklahoma ends up five and zero at this point? Like not being a prisoner of the moment, not seeing, not yeah. I mean, just I, it's hard not to be on a Saturday night after what sure. we just all witnessed. But do you give it greater than? 60% chance? No, 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 no. I wouldn't go near that high. I would say I would say there's a greater than 60% chance they win 3 out of 4 certainly. Mm-hmm. I would say there's I I'll give it a 30 35% chance they win out. Hmm. You say 30. Here's 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 what's interesting though. I think and again, this is not exclusive to Oklahoma. This is a conversation that ties in all of the rest of the action around the Big 12. I think the last couple weeks in this conference has really reframed perspective in a lot of ways. Because I think not this isn't exclusive to Oklahoma fans either. I think the college football world in general has begun to realize that Oh, those couple blowout losses that we were flaying Oklahoma for at the beginning of the month, those were because they were down their starting quarterback. Oklahoma is not half as bad of a team as they looked in Fort Worth against TCU and in the Cotton Bowl against Texas. And if you put Dylan Gabriel back in the mix, I'm not going to sit here and say they beat TCU or they beat Texas, but those games are a whole hell of a lot closer than they were. Oh yeah. And it's you think about the fact that Oklahoma State just got beat by that Kansas State Wildcats team 48 to nothing. And Oklahoma went down to the wire with that very same Kansas State team with Dylan Gabriel for all four quarters. So, 
does Oklahoma as a football team at full strength more resemble a team that is virtually on par with Kansas State or do they more resemble a team that's just kind of an also ran in this conference? I would lean toward it being more of the former at this mm-hmm. point. And I I wonder how I wonder how that narrative evolves throughout the month of November based on not only how the Sooners perform, but how the other contenders in this conference perform. It's weird to say this, and I it's not something to get your hopes up over, but there's still a path for Oklahoma to get to the Big 12 championship game if they take care of their business. Oh, I mean, it's it's going to take a lot, though. Like, it's yeah, going to take a lot. It'll take some doing, but the path is there. Um, I think what everybody's coming to terms with is the fact that the Big 12 in 2022 is just a very evenly matched conference. There are a lot of teams that are close to on the same level and that, again, Oklahoma is not nearly as bad of a football team as the score against TCU or the score against Texas would indicate. And all the, <laughs> all of what we said, all of what everybody said about Dylan Gabriel being the straw that stirred the drink for Oklahoma, the one guy whose absence could really throw a wrench in things for this football team, that all has held up and will continue to hold up mm-hmm. throughout the duration of this season. Because you're always going to wonder how differently do things turn out in 2022 for the Sooners if Gabriel never suffers that concussion. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't turn out differently at all. Maybe they're still five and three at this point. But I I, I think that people are going to call me crazy. They can call me a homer. I think they're six and two at worst at that point. Because if you go back and you watch that TCU game, how many points did TCU put up in the second half? 21 no okay. 14 14 14 it was 41 Correct. 17 and a half yep put up 14 points and they were running virtually the same offense in the third quarter Oklahoma just changed their defense up and played better defensively to start that but guess what they couldn't do they couldn't move the ball they basically just left starting like the first what how, how what was it it was like it was like the 10 minute mark into the second quarter when Dylan Gabriel went out, right? Like there was about eight to 10 minutes left, correct? Yes. Uh, we hadn't yet hit the halfway point of the second quarter. Okay. So it was still early. Oh my gosh. Yes. And Oklahoma was, he slides for first down. They're moving down the field finally. You kind of, and I remember turning to Joey at the time and going, hmm. no, it wasn't Joey. It was, um, Norman transcript, Jesse Critton, Jesse Critton. And I was like, Hey, they look like maybe they're getting going here a little bit. And you could kind of feel it. You could feel it in the stadium too. Like, Oh, okay. Oklahoma's kind of starting to do their thing. Now they scored on their last drive. They're, they're going to come back and they're going to do it again. Nah, he was knocked out. And at that point, the whole, like you could just kind of tell, you could look on Oklahoma's sideline and kind of tell like, well, this one's done for and it, the body language of the players and everybody started getting hurt. It was just, it was kind of a circus on the Oklahoma side after that. And the next week they played Texas. I remember we were like, it's either going to be really close or it's going to be really bad. 
And at the time, we're like, well, maybe it's the rivalry game. It's got to be kind of close, right? Like, it's always close. Nah. Poor David Bevel. I'm Davis Bevel. I mean, that kid, uh, I feel so bad for him. I mean, they essentially ran a tight end and a running back as quarterback the majority of the game, and that's just, that's what cost Oklahoma the ball game. But it also, I give credit to Jeff Levy for at least being creative enough to try something different, knowing that Bevel wasn't it. And here's here's what this all illustrates, Brandon. You think about that TCU game, and you kind of touched on it. In many ways, that was just an imperfect storm oh, for Oklahoma. Yeah, and then there was never a prayer of contending in that game against Texas mm. without Dylan Gabriel. There just wasn't. And so uh, what this does indicate, though, is, and I can't remember after, it might have been after the Texas game that we said this on the podcast, but I'll reiterate it. Things are never as good as you think they are, and they're never as bad as you think they are. And so, yeah, we're the, Playoff expectations were the clear Big 12 front runner expectations that were placed on Oklahoma in preseason a bit lofty. Yeah, I think that's fair. But also, I can remember a time where uh, <laughs> circa the evening of October 8th, there were folks saying, this team's not going to win another football game. So again, never as good as you think they are, never as bad as you think they are. No, I, and I agree with you. Um, the the crazy the crazy part is is, and I was watching the the Fox Sports uh, post game telecast after OU's win, and something stuck out to me with what they they talked about. They said the demise of Oklahoma football was greatly exaggerated, wasn't it? And Emmanuel Acho. You know, mad respect for Texas Longhorn came out and he goes, yeah, we were all sitting here talking about how bad they were after Texas, myself included. And I was like, without Dylan Gate with, with Dylan Gabriel, that game is completely different against Texas. And he says it on national television. So now everybody's starting to take notice of that after the last two weeks. They're like, oh my gosh, this Oklahoma team actually might be somewhat decent. They could be pretty good because they've got, uh, at the time, a top 20 win against Kansas. And then you go on the road to Iowa State where teams are notorious for just choking away and Iowa State coming up with the upset there no matter what time of day that, that kick is, especially Thursday nights. Like that's notorious. Iowa State's notorious for ruining people's seasons on that. But even 11 a.m. kickoffs on Saturdays, Ames is just one of those places where it is hard to get out of Jack Trice Stadium without without an L. It just is. Even at three at the time of three and four, Iowa State now three and five after the Oklahoma game, you still walked away going, that's a pretty good Iowa State team. Like they're not that bad. And Matt Campbell keeps talking about rebuild number three, rebuild number three, rebuild number three. This is rebuild number three. Well, back in the day, a rebuild at Iowa State meant that you weren't going to a bowl game. And this team still has a chance to go bowling if they finish out, if they can win three of their next five games. Excuse me, three of their next 
Yeah, three of the next five, right? Three of the next four games, excuse me. Three of the next four games. It just, and that's not, look, we all watch Iowa State today, and I think you and I both can sit there and go, yeah, that's pretty plausible. We think they can do that. Like, they're not that bad. Now, I don't know, and that's me just off the top of my head. I don't know their schedule off the top of my head. That would be something you would have to pull up or look up who they have left, Parker. Do you know? Offhand, I could not tell you. I, yeah, I guess you. I I guess I can look it up for us real quick. Um but they have so they got West Virginia at home, then they go to Oklahoma State, then they get Iowa State at home, then they go to TCU. So five and seven is most likely. Wait, I <laughs> hold on. Who No, what, it's who, not it's not very good. <laughs> they, what was that third? Two game? of their last four games are not very winnable games. I guess I guess after today you could say Oklahoma State's winnable, so but they're going to Stillwater. So they get West Virginia at home on November fifth. They get Oklahoma State on the road on November twelfth. They get Texas Tech at home on Texas November nineteenth, and then they get TCU in Fort Worth on November twenty sixth. Five seven is most likely. Yeah, it is. There's a path. There's but five and seven, if a bowl decides to offer you an invite, you can accept it now. But you have yeah, to win well, five games. I know that's like this it. is such a everybody gets a trophy mentality in college football now, mm-hmm. and it's disgusting. I'm pretty but, sure that's what that's how Nebraska made their most recent bowl game in 2016, if I recall yeah, correctly. It's it's disgusting. <laughs> like I'm one of those dads that won't let my kids play in the league if it's everybody gets a trophy league. I'm that guy. Because we didn't grow up doing that. Like, you lost, and that was it. Like, you won or you lost. There was first, second, or third, and they got trophies. Everybody, you could get, like, a fourth-place trophy if your coach wanted to buy it for you. But I never played on a team where a fourth-place trophy was given out. So, it's just a different – it's a different era, right? But – and I know I'm not alone on that, so – but – it's just well, I I just think it's pathetic that a five and seven team can go bowling. Like if Oklahoma accepts a bowl at five and seven, I will look at that athletic department so differently than what I do now because I expect them to be winners. Right? Like, am I wrong on that? I mean, I I I don't know. It's it's not something I've ever put a ton of thought into. So I know, but like it's plausible now. Like I know Oklahoma's going to win more than five games because they're already at five. Uh, but still, I mean, like, I don't know, even six and six. I mean, do you do it? Accept a bowl game at six and six. If you're Oklahoma. Yes. Yes. Do you? Why wouldn't you? I don't know, man. It's money. I get it, man. But, I guess the only reason why I say I agree with you, I guess I guess the only reason why I do kind of agree with you is to get the young guys extra practices. Yeah, it's money and it's more football. Yeah, absolutely you do it. I don't know. I just I just always have thought five and five was or five and seven was just such weak sauce to go to a bowl game. But it's the world we live in. So um and you said Nebraska did that. Dude, that just that shows you how far that program's fallen. Dude, how did they do today? I didn't even look. Oh, they got shellacked. It was twenty six to nine. Was the final against Illinois? Uh, 
but Illinois is really good. They got one of the best defenses in the country. Illinois so. might win double digit games here in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm-hmm. Weird. So it, if you're going to name the player of the game defensively, I know who I'm going to say. Who are you going to say? Ooh, you you already know, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are a whole bunch of candidates. No, nah, this dude, this dude was everywhere. I mean, he okay, may not. The, he the, may. He may I not. Know who talk, I know who you're talking about. Yes, he was everywhere. This dude um, may not get. You know, statistically, he wasn't. He's not like big on fumbles or interceptions or anything like that. Yeah. But he did have one and a half tackles for losses, and he led the team in tackles by a long shot. Yeah, yeah, he did. It's a career high in tackles for him. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I won't steal your thunder on that one. I'll, I'll give it to Woody Washington. God, he was really good too, wasn't he? he? Man, hey, people forget. People forget how good of a cover corner Woody Washington is, and that play he made to secure an interception on Iowa State's opening drive, just such a phenomenal display of technique. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> what makes Woody Washington so good, man, is when he's on his game, when he's sharp, he is a real tough guy to sneak a football past if you're a quarterback. And uh, you saw that. You saw that mm-hmm. earlier today. Uh, it was not just the interception either. Uh, it wasn't as if that was the only play Woody Washington made all day. Uh, he was a consistent presence and consistently having success defending the pass. A hundred deckers threw the ball, as you mentioned, Brandon, almost 60 times in this football game. The ball was in the air a lot. And Washington's just one of those guys, man, where he's not going to get burned. He's not in general. And if he does surrender a catch, He's right there to make the tackle. Yeah. And he's typically a pretty dang sure tackler. So I I think with the exception of Billy Bowman, he's probably the most valuable member of Oklahoma's secondary. And I don't even know if that's a question at this point. I think there's a significant gap between those two, Woody and Billy Bowman and the rest of the group. Like that's those are those are your meal tickets in the back end of the defensive backfield. And so uh, hats off to Woody for his performance today. It's been mm-hmm. quite a while since he got an interception. I think it's you're dating back to Bedlam last year when he had two of them off Spencer mm-hmm. Sanders. Uh, but, yeah, big day for him. Big day as far as turnovers are concerned in general for Oklahoma. And that's a really, really good sign because forcing turnovers was not something that this, this team had made a habit of over the first few games of Big 12 play. No, and hey, let me – Speaking of Woody Washington, there was a player that came in for him, uh, true freshman, mind you, for like two or three plays. Hello, and so and good. They, they were, they <laughs> were in good plays. Gentry Williams, stand up, man. Goodness gracious. So honestly, on that on that will route, that he stayed with his dude the whole time, played it perfectly. He got really away with a little it. bit of well, tug he got a little just bit. about as handsy as he could reasonably yep. get to make it a 50 50 call and it was mm-hmm. a 50 50 call that he got yep and i was shocked i was like 24 what's gentry doing in there my goodness man great and then he made the the, the very next play he came up and made a play so like he did really well for 
a guy that was thrown in there. I don't know what, well, I guess Woody had like some sort of maybe a, did he have like a equipment malfunction or something like that? That that happened? Cause it just happened out of the blue. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. There were a lot of just very spur of the moment rotations and substitutions on both sides of the ball for Oklahoma today. Like there was, there was a third down where Grayson Halton just ran into the game. Yeah. I've seen him all day to that point, but boom, there he was. In well, he ran off on one situation. Play. Yeah, then he runs off, and they're shorthanded on a play, and they're all waving up like somebody get in here because Grayson Halton just kind of hobbled up and didn't tell anybody. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but they, they didn't get a first down, so that was good. They were able to get matched up right later on, and I think this was like one of the latter drives too that Iowa State was like trying to get down the field quickly, and they ended up throwing an interception a couple of plays later, but um. Yeah, the, the the young guys, I was just thinking about that today. And even some of the older guys, like a Jalen Redman and a Woody Washington, I think we both think they need to come back one more year uh, and really solidify themselves as who they are and the type of talents that they are. Now, whether they do that is one thing or another, but could you imagine a roster next year returning everybody essentially on both sides of the ball because nobody leaves outside of like, you know, Braden Willis because he's out of time. Um, Wanya Morris can come back. Anton Harrison could come back. We all know Anton's going to leave because he's that dude at left tackle. But if they could return 18 of 22 guys, and obviously Michael Turk's going to be gone, that would be huge for Oklahoma going into 2023 with the recruiting class they have with the recruiting class they had in 2022 with the transfers they could pull in that could be a perfect storm for something really big in 2023 and how awesome would that be like how awesome would that be so anyways um yeah i i you, you got to like the young guy, the talent of the young guys. Um, it was a shame not to have Javante Barnes today. He wasn't out there due to sickness. But it was good to see Marcus Major back. He It wasn't uh, – it actually wasn't sickness. It wasn't? Okay. Uh, no, Venables was asked about Javante's status after the game and said he tweaked his hammy on Thursday in practice, and that was why he didn't travel. So mm. um, okay. I'd heard I'd, – I'd reached out to a couple – sources once i was i was down there i was standing on the sidelines next to john hoover and at a certain point i realized who's not here and so i turned to john and i said have you seen javante barnes because i sure haven't because we didn't know at that point like we had no inkling of a clue that barnes was going to miss this game that he hadn't traveled and so i immediately reached out to a couple folks uh, and they said, yeah, it had to do with something that happened in practice on Thursday. He was a very, very late scratch in terms of the guys that they sent up mm. to Ames. But uh, yeah, supposedly, uh, per what Brent Venables told us, at the very least, it was a hamstring issue. Doesn't sound like it's anything too serious. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, so on recruiting side of things, you stopped at Kansas City. You went and watched uh, Caden Green. 
uh, and a bunch of other guys that have Oklahoma offers. Williams, Winery. Um, trying to think of who else was there, and that I know there was like three, four, five guys that have Oklahoma offers. And um, I am in Atlanta still because we had to do the podcast and stuff like that, and I didn't want to be stuck in the air or you know stranded at a airport or whatever. So I'm leaving tomorrow to go back home. So what did you gain from what intel did you gain on on uh, your trip to Kansas City? And then I'll follow it up with with my intel with a uh, four star 2023 defensive lineman, Caden McDonald, who's going to announce his decision on Monday. Yeah, well, I'll say this. Let's let's actually rewind to Thursday night because uh, I had the oh, chance yeah, to yeah, go see right. McKinney yeah. and Geyer. Uh, Jackson Arnold is a superstar in the making. Peyton Bowen is a superstar in the making. That's not news to anybody uh, that's a VIP member at OUinsider.com. Not news to anybody that's seen either of those two in person or even on TV. Um, but Oklahoma's in a really, really nice spot with four-star safety Xavier Filsimi out of McKinney. And... Uh, that's a guy that's one of the fastest prospects in the entire DFW area. I believe he ran something like a 10-4 in the 100 meters as a sophomore. So we're talking elite speed, good size. Uh, he's well-built, versatile. And that's a guy that Brandon Hall and Oklahoma have really made some noise for. And uh, I would go as far as to say if if they don't outright lead his recruitment right now, they are sure right there in the top tier. And so that is certainly one to watch in the 2024 class. And we're starting to get to about that point in time where uh, you're really starting to shift the bulk of the focus from 2023 to 2024, because it's starting to become very clear uh, who the last few targets in 2023 are. And uh, outside of whatever updates follow on those guys, uh, it's, you're, you're about at that point in the calendar where you're going to start to see 2024 commitments starting to drop. And we're kind of all waiting on who's going to be first through the wall for Oklahoma in 2024. And uh, that kind of, that's a conversation that kind of evolves week to week, month to month. But uh, it does seem like Xavier Filson me is one of those guys that Oklahoma is going to be very much in play for. And it's, it's interesting because when you look at that geographical area on the Northeast side of DFW, there are a lot of dudes from that little 20, 30 mile radius that are very heavily favoring Oklahoma in the 2024 class. So, Oh, you could be poised to raid that side of DFW, um, which would be quite the statement for 2024 and beyond. Uh, if they were able to clean house with guys like Nigel Smith, Mike Hawkins, Peyton Pierce, Phil Sami, Eli Bowen, and others. Uh, Friday night, yes, was up in Missouri, uh, watching Lee Summit North. Caden uh, Green, you know, he, at a certain point, I, and I've been up to see him a lot. I, I may have, at this point, I've probably seen him more than any other commitment that Oklahoma holds in the 2023 class. I've seen a ton of his games over the last couple of years, and he's always the biggest dude on the field. He's always manhandling whoever he's lined up against. Uh, it's just it's easy for him. I expect him to be in Oklahoma's two deep next year. Very physically impressive prospect, very versatile, 
he's going to be an impact player when it's all said and done at OU. But man, let me tell you, let me tell you, Williams Nwaneri is something special. And that, make no mistake, that is a five-star. That is a five-star defensive lineman, if I have ever seen one. And there are some parallels to P.J. Adebare in the way that he plays the game. And they have similar statures. P.J. is a little bit longer than William. I mean, P.J. is longer than everybody. But uh, they both move incredibly well for being as tall and as big as they are. And Williams is one of those guys that's already creeping into five-star territory uh, in the 24-7 sports composite. It shouldn't be too much longer before he picks up that fifth star. He's the number 30 player in the composite right now in the class of 2024. So he's right there on the cusp. And if you finalize the rankings today, he would get that fifth star. Um, He has... He has the opportunity to be one of the best defensive prospects that that area has produced in a long, long, long time. And I, I, I think it's interesting. Um, I run into Jamar Mosey a lot. Uh, and of course, for those unfamiliar with Jamar Mosey, former Sooner, currently the head coach at least Summit North. Um, when I say I run into him a lot, uh, he's got his guys down in Norman quite frequently. They were most recently down there for the Kansas State game at the end of September. But it's almost as if there's – and I'm not, I, I don't know this for a fact. This is just – this is just me talking. But it almost seems as if there's a concerted effort to make sure that the other regional stops that he makes with his players are for OU's road games because uh, the Lee Summit North crowd was up in Lincoln on September 17th. When Oklahoma plays, when Oklahoma played there, they were up at Iowa State this morning. When Oklahoma played there, and being a former Sooner, obviously Mosey has a ton of ties. He was there uh, 2000, 2001, if I if I believe if I'm not mistaken, and so I uh, got a ton of ties uh, to some of the Oklahoma coaches, Brent Venables, Jerry Schmidt, and the like, and so. Um, He's got one of his kids committed to Oklahoma and Caden Green. If the OU experience goes smoothly for Green, uh, especially over his first year there, I can I can see there being an increased willingness on Williams and Winery's end uh, to be a sooner. And I don't I don't think he's a slam dunk to be a sooner. Now, I think that's the case for Isaiah Mosey, Jamar's son, the four-star 2025 wide receiver. I do think that's a slam dunk to Oklahoma. And I've thought that for quite some time. Williams was always the kid that I was a little bit more iffy on. And I still am. It's not a sure thing, not even close to a sure thing that he ends up in an OU uniform. But with as mu- with as many people, not just Coach Mosey either, but with as many people as are around Lee Summit North that are pro-Oklahoma, and especially with his teammate that's a year older committed to OU, uh, there's going to be a very compelling case come the end of the 2024 cycle for Winery to pick Oklahoma. So uh, definitely a recruitment I would watch because when you look at that board of defensive linemen in the 2024 class for OU, there are a lot of names, a lot of really 
consequential, significant names. Names like Zadavian Sims, David Stone, Nigel Smith, T.A. Cunningham, and so forth. Guys that could realistically end up being Sooners. And I would throw Williams and Winery right in there as well because um, he talks on a very regular basis with Todd Bates and Miguel Chavis. They've done a good job recruiting him. And also, again, influence from your circle matters. Mm-hmm. It matters. Sometimes it doesn't. It's not always enough to turn the tables. It's not always enough to tip the scales. But a year down the road, Caden Green's loving his time at the University of Oklahoma, and he's playing, and he's already cracked the two deep, and things are going well for him. Again, that's going to speak to Williams Nguyenary as a teammate of Caden's, and he's going to be able to uh, not only look at what Bates and Chavis are pitching to him, but you know, somebody that he went to war with uh, on the sidelines uh, and on the gridiron for two years. Uh, he's going to be able to look at a guy like that and say, you know what? Uh, I can take the same path that he took from Lee summit North to Norman and have a ton of success because I believe in what they're building. And I believe in this coaching staff and their vision. So I, I'll be curious to see where that one starts to trend because I do think we're getting to the point in his recruitment where he's going to start to narrow things down. I would expect that after this season is over, he's going to really start getting intentional about which schools he's going to prioritize uh, over the course of the spring and summer to follow. So with that being said, and 2 p.m. kickoff, in Norman this weekend, can do you think they'll be in Norman this weekend? No, no, they will not okay. be in Norman this weekend. Uh, I was talking about Bedlam. Bowman. No, so, well, okay, so Kate, Kate, and I know is coming to Bedlam. Mm-hmm. I know he's going to be there. I don't know if the rest will be there yet. Uh, it, so a lot depends on their schedule the rest of the way because they're going to be they're going to be a contender for the state title in the state of Missouri. And the playoff schedule has the potential to run as deep as Thanksgiving weekend for them. So they could still be playing ball all throughout the month of November on Friday nights. That in addition to the fact that they're already, I believe they're planning on being at Missouri for the Tigers next home game. So that's on the schedule. That's something that they try to do every single year. Uh, it's always a point that coach Mo makes to give some love to the, uh, school that's right down the road. So that's a trip that'll be happening in November. And I think, uh, from the conversation I was having with him, uh, that's all they have on the schedule, uh, for sure. Right now, there are other things that could become possibilities, uh, or could become considerations, but right now, Missouri is the only trip that those guys have booked for the month of November. So what about um, as far as is there any other names in that region that you think Oklahoma has a chance for in 24, 25 that people need to like pay attention to? Well, you know, I tell you what, new offer tonight, and I've talked to a couple folks. It's one worth paying attention to. Talking about Allen. I'm talking about Jordan Allen, mm-hmm. Kansas State commit from Olathe North. And this is, uh, from the conversations that I've had uh, with people who would know, 
this is an offer for the tight end position. Mm-hmm. And Levy's the one that put it out. Yeah. And that's a curveball because we all kind of thought with the whole Malachi Coleman situation and how that unfolded that OU was just going to take one tight end. But maybe I, I, K- I'll be maybe I'll be the, the first... Caleb Spencer thing opened up another spot. And I, but see, that just to me, that seems well. And, and here's here's the thing, though. Here's mm. the thing, though. No. No, it it does that does make a lot of sense, Brandon, and I'm glad you bring that up because the common denominator between Jordan Allen and Cade McIntyre is that both of those guys have a legit Power Five future on either side of the ball. Mm-hmm. So those are two players that you can bring to campus as athletes. You can tell Cade McIntyre, you know what? If you don't want to play tight ends, if you get here and you feel like you want to give linebacker a shot. We can make that happen, but you can bring those guys in as athletes and you don't have to have intentions right off the bat of making them tight ends or linebackers. You can just kind of see how they progress, see where they mesh, see where they gel once you get them on the field in spring practice. And so again, Jordan Allen right now is committed to Kansas state. Um, OU stands a very good chance of flipping him from what I know early in the process here. And if that does end up happening, uh, it's, it's it really is enthralling to think about, Brandon, because there are so many different ways that Oklahoma could choose to close out this class mm-hmm. because you lost Caleb Spencer with his flip to Miami. So uh, you have another linebacker spot that you're actively recruiting for, but then again, you can take McIntyre and or Allen and flip either of them to the defensive side. And then whatever personnel shortcomings you have at tight end can be addressed in the portal. And as we've said, I expect Oklahoma to get a tight end in the portal this offseason. I think that is something yeah. that 100% is going to happen. Yep. Um, but I think what this offer tonight speaks to is the reality that uh, – and I, there may there may not be any better example of this than Eric McCarty, even though we do kind of know at this point he's he's going to be a safety when he shows up. But when Oklahoma offered Eric McCarty initially, they didn't know where they wanted him. They just knew they wanted him. Mm-hmm. They were just recruiting a guy that could play football, yep. play it well. And that's what you have on your hands in a guy like Jordan Allen. So whether he plays offense or defense – whether or not he factors into the class at Oklahoma in the end, whether or not uh, Oklahoma's plans at either tight end or linebacker evolve over the next six, seven weeks, depending on the outcome of the Allen recruitment. uh, That is certainly one to watch. Certainly one to watch. Yeah. And here's the crazy part about it is, is there's a, there's two guys that are very athletic, very rangy, long guys that just so happen to be teammates of one five-star defense alignment, DJ Hicks. And Oh, you went there. Here we oh, go. Yeah, I did. Here we go. And you have that position open. Like to me, you go after uh, Damon Sanford, who's committed to AM, or you go after an Alex Kilgore who's committed to SMU, or you go after both. You get a three for 
literally one deal. And you can't at that point after losing Caleb Spencer, you go up to the Lewis Carters of the world, the Phil Pachatis of the world, um, even the Caden McIntyres, Caden McIntyres of the world and say, look, I know you guys maybe see yourselves as linebackers potentially. Lewis, you could probably be a really good cheetah for us. Eric McCarty, you could probably be a really good cheetah for us. Akana, you could be a really good cheetah for us. But these guys right here, they're just linebackers. Like you guys are multifaceted guys. These are linebackers. And they're also bringing with them a dude, the dude. And so, and you don't offer them because of that. Like, I, I think that needs to be made clear. You offer them on the grounds you think they're really good. And I've talked to people in Oklahoma is very high on Damon Sanford and they're very high on Alex Kilgore. It's just a matter of numbers always kind of got in the way and afraid to push away the Lewis Carters of the world that Oklahoma believes Lewis Carter and Pachati are going to be stars at Oklahoma. And when you have that, you don't want to push a sure thing away, right? You you got it's the whole burden the hand, you know, type deal. You don't want to push them away and come up with nothing. And so it's just with the Caleb Spencer deal, now you have a chance to. You got an opening to go to that. Like, look, we have this roster opening. We're doing this because you guys can play multiple positions. This these two guys are they're just linebackers. That's what they are. So we're going to offer them if they come up for a visit, if they do this or they do that, that's great. And then if you somehow pull off the miraculous ability to land DJ Hicks in this whole ordeal, then that's big time. And I think if Oklahoma wins out, it's going to be really hard for DJ Hicks to sit there and say, no, like, does he really want to go to a three and nine team at the end of the day or four and eight team? I don't think so. Like, Nothing changes. Like Connor Wegman, I don't think he's like this magician. He's not going to miraculously change the program and where it's going to go. Not when they have freaking Florida up next and they got Auburn after that. They got LSU and they've got – who else do they have off the top of your head? Um, got LSU. So their schedule the rest of the way is at, at three and five right now after that loss. They got Ole Florida. Miss. They got Florida. LSU, Florida. They get a reprieve because then they get UMass, but then they close out the regular season against Auburn. Okay, Those so they're four, they're four and the eight. Away. They're four and eight at that rate. Maybe it, five and seven. Maybe, maybe five and seven. Yeah, maybe five and seven. Um, let's see here. They get Florida at home next week. Then they go. That gummit. Then they go to. Uh, they go to Auburn. Then they get UMass at home. Then they go. Then they get. LSU at home. So honestly, like they have a chance, like they could win the next four ball games. Honestly, like they could, they could be seven and five to end the year. Do we think they're going to be seven and five to end the year? No, because uh, we all believe Florida is going to be tough for them. We all believe LSU is going to be tough for them. We believe Auburn is going to be tough for them. We all think UMass is just going to be a pushover and that's going to be their fourth win. Having said that, does DJ Hicks, go that route like i don't know like do a lot of these kids stick that are at AM? do they get in the portal like there's a lot of different things going on right now behind the scenes and we'll see uh 
how A and M, you know, figures all this out. Didn't they have a? They just came off a bye week too, right? They literally A&M? just came. Yeah. No, 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 no. no they lost. They, the oh, South they came Carolina off a bye week last, last week. week. They had a bye week before yeah. last week. That's right. A bye week before last week. Man, they, they got a tough road ahead. They keep they're getting more and more banged up too. So, um, but I'm down here in Atlanta, seeing 2023 four star defensive lineman. Caden McDonald, Oklahoma defensive lineman or defensive line coach and co-defensive coordinator. Todd Bates was here as well. Um, I talked to Caden McDonald after the game. I'll put to everybody like this. This is going to be... Uh, he brought up Michigan, which I thought was interesting. He brought up Michigan. He's like, people don't believe I'm into Michigan. I'm into Michigan. Um, now, do I think that they're ahead of Oklahoma or Ohio State? No. And I could be wrong, but no, I didn't get that feeling. Well, I got the feeling that it was Ohio State and Oklahoma, and he's kind of torn right now. Like, literally torn between the two. And so, I thought Clemson was kind of third-ish. Um, I thought Michigan was kind of right there with Clemson. Maybe they could be a little ahead, could be a little behind. I don't know. Uh, but I, you just got that feeling that Oklahoma and Ohio State are duking this thing out. And if he picks either one, I won't be shocked. And I know that's fence riding, but that's literally the vibe I got. And because he kept saying, this is so hard. This is so hard. This is so hard. I don't know what to do. He goes, I'm ready to get it over with. And what my gut tells me that day is where I'm going to go. And apparently he's told people where he wants to go and where he's leaning. And I guess right now I'd maybe say Ohio State, I guess. I don't know. But if his family gets their way, and we're talking about his mom, and we're talking about his grandparents and everybody else around him, he's a Sooner. If they get their way, he's a Sooner. So I think Bates has and Venables has that chance to really close this thing out. I think they're going to use tomorrow as that ability to sit there and say, look, we shut a team down. We we're, we're showing you exactly what we are defensively with people not on your level. Jalen Redmond's it right now on the defensive line. As far as your level, Caden, if we can get four of you with Derek LeBlanc and maybe DJ Hicks and Colton Vasek and PJ Adabari, we're good. We're good. Follow that up by the 2024 class with the David Stones of the world, the Zadavian Sims, the Williams Winery, the I'm trying to think of edge guys off the top of my head. I can't because <laughs> like 2024 edge guys that Oklahoma is really in on. Um, Danny Okoye. No, nah, I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, no. I, I mean, yeah, obviously. Avion but, Henderson. There you go. Or, or um, think of somebody in Texas. Is there an edge rusher in Texas? I'm going to sit here and just slap myself. Uh, oh, zoo. There you go. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't, I don't see. I like, see, I see their class being Zadavian Sims, David Stone, uh, Williams Winery. And so, so you got David Stone, Williams Winery, Zadavian Sims. That's Nigel. three. Nigel. Nigel Smith, Nigel Smith. There it is. Nigel Smith. I was in Texas, Texas, Nigel Smith. So though you, you get those guys in 2024 and with transfers, 
on top of that. And now you're looking at a completely different defense. And I think that's something they can sell them on is look at the progress we're making with this defense that was maligned. It was a maligned defense last year. It was a maligned defense all through Alex Grinch's tenure and Mike Stoops' tenure. And now we're putting our imprint on it with the same talent that they had, which was good talent. We're just finally developing them, and they're finally starting to play a little bit. Now, granted, yeah, it's Iowa State. They're the worst offense in the Big 12, but they're not the worst offense in the country. Like They could be – are they worse than Texas A&M's? Statistically, is that possible? I don't know. <laughs> I just know that they're bad offensively. A and M is so. Um, they were decent tonight, though. But I think that's your selling point to Caden McDonald. Now he's got a lot of people in his ear for Clemson because a lot of his friends went to Clemson from this area. But he has Jackson Arnold that he grew up with. He has Derek LeBlanc, who he's super close with. He has uh, Trey Morrison. He has who's at Oklahoma right now and playing quite a bit in the secondary. He's got Kenai Walker, who grew up in the North Gwinnett area. Um, it's just there's a lot. And so, uh, as a matter of fact, the the brother-in-law for Kenai Walker came up. He's a coach on the opposing team that North Gwinnett was playing, came up and said hi to me. I don't know him from Adam, but he came up and said hi to me yesterday. So um, just kind of a cool deal that there's so many connections to Oklahoma there. And obviously his parent, his mom being from the, the Arkansas-Oklahoma border, his grandparents, aunts, uncles, all still living there. Ted Roof, Brent Venables, um, and several other people being very close to the North Gwinnett area. And then they have a assistant coach who was a GA at Clemson with all of them on the defensive side of the ball that's on the North Gwinnett staff. So there's a lot of connections to Oklahoma here that could help Oklahoma. But right now, like it's hard to say either way. Uh, You can be upset Oklahoma fans if he chooses Ohio state, but you can't be shocked. Like Ohio state's in this. I said that to y'all three weeks ago. Nobody else was saying that. And I'm telling you now, like, that is a fact. Like Ohio State is there, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, Michigan. That's where it's at right now. And if I had to put it, I might say Ohio State has a slight slight lead, but not by a lot. Not by a lot. Like this thing could go either way come 5 p.m. Central Time on Monday. So we'll we'll have everything ready just in case on OU Insider, and hopefully we'll have a better feel for things as this thing progresses as well. So um yeah, that's going to do it, I think, for this version of the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners postgame podcast. Uh, if you're not a member or a subscriber, excuse me, if you're not a subscriber of this YouTube channel, click it, give it a rating, give it a thumbs up, do what you can do. Uh, we're growing a lot. What are we at? Like 7.5, something like that right now, 7.5 thousand. And we just started a few months ago. So we're growing really fast, and that's all thanks to you, Oklahoma fans. Uh, right now we're doing a 50% off OU Insider VIP, 50% off. That means for 50 bucks, essentially, you get OU Insider for a whole year. That means all through the 2023 as well, all the way till whenever you decide to sign up on October 31st or October 30th, whatever, you, whatever date they may be that you sign up, you get it all the way through. That means you get the rest of the 2022 season. 
You get national signing days, both of them. You get all the transfer portal stuff. You get the bowl games. You get the the junior days. You get the spring, all the visits on spring. You get champion barbecue. You get the party in the palace. You get fall camp stuff. You get off-season stuff. You get you know, where Parker and I go travel all around the United States going and seeing recruits that Oklahoma's in on to make sure that you guys have the best coverage that you can possibly have. And on top of that, you get the season next year all the way up to almost November. So it's a heck of a deal. And you get all of 24-7 sports, every site. You can go see what's going on at Oklahoma State. You can go see what's going on at USC, Texas A&M, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, uh, Texas. Uh, anybody that you dislike and you want to see or if Oklahoma's in on a recruit, and they're battling it out like Ohio State. You can see what they're saying on the Ohio State board. Like all those things are available to you if you sign up right now, 50% off OU Insider. Or if you're month to month right now, you can upgrade for 50% off. So you get that year instead of paying monthly $9 a month. You can go ahead and just pay 50 bucks and have it done and have OU Insider for the rest of uh 2022 and almost all of 2023 or if you don't want to do that and you just want to give us a try you can do one dollar for the first month 9.95 afterwards uh, we'd love to have you we're growing super fast we're one of the top we are the top fastest growing 24 7 site in all of 24 7 and we take very good pride very much pride in that and that's all thanks to you oklahoma sooners fans you guys have done that for us uh and we take pride and we're super blessed to be able to do that for you all all right well that's going to do it for parker thune my name is brandon drum Oklahoma won 27-13 in Ames, Iowa. They have Baylor at 2 p.m. next Saturday, November 5th. We will see you guys for the second-to-last home game, and we'll see you guys also on the YouTube Live later on this week and the pregame podcast as well. You guys have a blessed day. <laughs>